Lord, to bless the time. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your word. We ask that you would lead us in it. Keep us circumspect in your son's name. Amen. Last week, uh, because of a series of thoughts I'd been having about the nature of fear and how much wickedness in the world is a result of fear, I preached about it because that's what you get to do when you've thought about something and you're a pastor. They can't, they can't stop you. You just do what you want to do. So as I was thinking about that during the week since, um, the verse that I did not point to out of First John came to mind, having to do with perfect love casting out all fear. Because obviously if you tell people they should not fear, and the Lord does tell you you should not, um, and you can do that in processing yourself, you're looking for ammunition, how to go about what we're supposed to do. And one of the other things that, that uh, comes up in this question is the, is the contrariness between love and fear. It's not so much they're contrary, it's just a matter of both of them are big questions that have to do with who do you fear and who do you love. Those are the big questions. And the epistle of John puts them together, but John is all about something. John is not uh, just giving you a little a tidy group of proof texts. The, the book of 1 John, you probably have any number of quotes from in your mind. I have a few on the left-hand side, in the left-hand column. My little children, I'm writing this to that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we had an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, some of the real quotable verses, the reason they're quotable is they're proof texts and an argument, and I, as you know, enjoy arguments, and so... You're in this kind of passage, um, a few things are affirmed, right? It seems like they're affirmed that one, it is possible to sin because he's suggesting that you shouldn't, and it's possible to not because he's suggesting that you shouldn't. Okay? So, on both those questions, the issue of holiness, and the issue, yeah, this is a great verse to have. I've enjoyed using it on my enemies. You feel like you're running behind them and just, you know, hamstringing them all of a sudden with this passage. And then this next verse, 2.15. Do not love the world with the things in the world. You remember this one? Because I'm, I'm about this. This is one of my, this is one of my go-to. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. This is so much a part of my life. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's central. I have it tattooed, you know, on my lower back. Now, it's so much so that the drones argued about this verse yesterday. Because I had been doing some exp expansive thinking, very speculative stuff. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you know, I've been having fun with this passage. 
3, 9, the next verse. No one born of God commits sin, for God's nature abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this it may be seen who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. Wow. That's another theological loaded. There are people who say, yeah, Christians can't sin. They're the Tullian Shavidians of this world who conveniently have that viewpoint when they have sinned a lot. Um, others believe that, oh, yeah, we have sinned, but God doesn't count it. It's kind of the uber-grace crowd. Others have different views of this. But once again, these are passages that sort of landing on Wow! Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, Christians don't sin. All in the same book. All in First John. And, and boy, it just introduces all sorts of things to our minds because we're in discussions with others about them. And there's such sweet fellowship in angry debate, as you probably know. You know, Christians divided against Christians, refusing to enter the same room together because, you know, they hold a different view on verse 3-9. You know, you stop saying, you know, maybe John was not talking about what we're talking about. Not that it isn't about those things. I don't think that all the things that you can explore philosophically or theologically are not there, but you get the impression if you went back and said, you know, what was John actually trying to do? Maybe if we were about what he was about. When he's saying, I'm writing these things to you, my brethren, that you may not sin, and the theological mind runs over here and says, you know, it's possible for a Christian not to sin. Or for those who say it is impossible for a Christian to sin. <laughs> but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Handles to that. Hold it. Maybe John was just interested in you not sinning. Not you having a view about whether Christians sin. The view about whether Christians sin is less important. It exists. It maybe influenced your life, but John wanted you not to sin is the point. That's why he's writing the book. That you would know you have Christ, that you'd know you have assurance of salvation, that you know you have a path to forgiveness. Maybe if I took that first, maybe if I went through the book and saw what John wanted me to be about, those three things about not sinning, loving God more than you love the world, and having people recognize you as holy. Because that's what the end of that 3-9 passage is. By this it may be seen who are the children of God. He's giving you a measurement device, you know, so you can hold it up to people and go, yeah, he, she is holy. <laughs> because earlier in the book, and throughout the book, he is trying to get Christians to not sin. You, you don't sin, and if you do sin, you get forgiven, but you don't sin generally because that's how Christians are recognized. Maybe if we were about that, maybe if we were measuring whether or not we love God, not, not whether or not you did the right things that weren't too worldly. You know, it doesn't say anything, I can't have a tattoo. 
Yeah, it doesn't say that. You're right. But you're really not artistically gifted enough to get a tattoo. Just take it from me, I'm an artist. I'm happy to see great tattoos. But check with me. Bring it by the house. Show me a picture. Tell me how big it's going to be and where. Because you don't know squat about art. And it's not because it's immoral or worldly. It's because people make awful choices. Just awful. And some of you have already made them. <laughs> Too late for you. Now, the worldliness, we're not a church that wants to concern ourselves with stopping you from being worldly. We want you to love God more than you love the world. That's what John's concerned with. Because, you know that passage that's hanging out there, I mentioned it earlier, perfect love casts out all fear. If we get this right, we're on the path. We're, we're, we're going to be the kind of people. We'll be following the way that John set out, the Tao of the Christian life, which is love. And so I jumped in on your major text, here on the right-hand side, chapter 3, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Huh? I changed it, didn't it? it we, we can't even shift our... You know how the topic said, Ooh, Evan just shifted from fighting with each other over and whether we love God more than the world to talking about love as if it were really important. Because that's another place we hide, right? Talking about, oh, this is, this is the dear center of Christianity that we love. Everybody goes, I was so blessed this morning at church. He said love a lot of times. Not in word and speech, folks. Remember the passage a few weeks ago? The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. It's not word or speech, but indeed in truth. Until we get to there, it's not merely that we sorted things out and dodged all the temptations to get into fights about theology and, and went for something emotive and squishy instead of hard and clear. We're actually supposed to be loving one another. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and we receive for him whatever we ask, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, there's an awful lot, it's almost every half sentence in this book, a sermon can be preached on. I'm skipping over some things like the reassurance of even when our hearts condemn us. Reassure our hearts before him. But I want you to go to following through with this basic commodity of not thinking of the text as a series of vindications for you and your theology, or me and mine, but a description of what the Christian life is about and what you are needing to be about in it. We keep his commandments... We receive from whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. You know how the fear thing creates a lot of wickedness? 
your love for the world, your love for the world system, your love for worldly answers, your love for standing socially, your love for all sorts of things, because you're afraid. Wars, grasping after our lusts, pride of life, we're afraid. We're especially afraid of that thing called death at the other end of this. It's going to kill you. And we know that at the end of this, down at the end of this passage, is the passage that says your perfect love casts out all fear. That not only is fear the cause of great wickedness when it fears the wrong thing, but love is the cause of great holiness. That is, it says in Romans 14, about all the commandments are fulfilled in this one commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We keep his commandments and do what pleases him because we love God. Now, tragically, an awful lot of Christians, Christians don't love God. They believe in him, believe in the myth, um, and it's a true myth to them. They really, really don't like they really don't like God that much. They got some problems with his behavior. It's like, it's something, you know, you shouldn't be talking about the living God that way, as if you had problems with his behavior. The basic storyline of all humanity is God has problems with our behavior. We've somehow managed to twist that into the dominance of the self where we have problems with his behavior. How are you going to expect yourself to be driven by the love of God to do what pleases him in a loving way, not just in a, this is the rules. That's why we have to go back to the rules. We don't like who told us to do it. We kind of think that God is the, the great buzzkill of everything. And I really wanted to do that, but I can't. Or if I do it, you made me feel bad about it. But I know I gotta. Because God and my mom are in con some sort of con uh, conspiracy to ruin my life. But I still gotta do it because this is right. Damn it. What <laughs> yeah, how's that Christian life working out for you? That's not much of a Christian life. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him is being driven by this love. That's what you've got to check. Just like you've got to look at that fear that you have, the anxiety you have that you should not allow yourself to have because your Lord and Christ told you not to have it. So you better be on your knees repenting seriously, crying out to God to forgive you of presuming to fear the things he told you not to fear, but also he told you to love and told you to do some things because of love. We should take this pretty seriously that whether or not we realize what the centerpiece of our Christian life is. When I've said often over many years, and I probably too much, and I'm sorry, the old covenant was the law, the new covenant is love. You keep the commandments of God because of love. This is the love of God. We'll read that later in the passage. This whole thing, 
You've got to sit there this afternoon and think about the passage and go, do I love others? Your basic problems are not just that you fear, but that you don't love. And you want to replace love with keeping some rules. Wouldn't it be nice if we had, you know, kind of the cheat sheet of rule accomplishment that said, okay, well now you have to go for ten, we'll go for five. Five basic rules to come to All Souls Christian Church. And if you don't want to be good, here are the rules at least, bare minimum, you got to keep. All the tattoos always have to be checked by the bishop. What else can we put on there? No blended whiskeys. You, you, you t- well, let's say you tithe in cigars. So that's three. We could have a good list of well, I, I could deal with this church. You know, it's a little expensive on the whiskey end of things, but you know, all right. You'd like to have some rules. This is it's not. This is about whether or not Jesus Christ has changed you. For, and this, when it tells you to keep His commandments, what does a person do with a passage like that? Because we keep his commandments. God's going to go out and keep his commandments. Just leave me alone right now. I've got to go find some commandments to do. Well, he tells you in the next verse. And this is the commandment. And look what the commandment is. That, you sh- that we should believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Oh. There's two. Believe the gospel, you swine. And love each other. Okay, all right. We, get, we receive everything we ask from God because we do, we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We're moved by this. If I, if I found out how easy, it's not five commandments, it's two commandments. Believe Jesus Christ, believe in the gospel. And love each other, just as he has commanded us. All who keep his commandments abide in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us because it's not about a talk. It's not about signing up for a membership at All Souls Christian because they're kind of more spiritual in their standards. And so if you sign the membership form for us, it's going to say things like love and spirit on it. The spirit is the power. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, or you're not. And the power ain't there. This is how you know that he abides in you by the Spirit he gives you. And if it is too hard for you to love the living God, because he doesn't quite do things the way you... But you know, he killed everybody in Jericho. Shut the heck up. I know you were in charge of Jericho and you really loved the people in Jericho a lot because you, I don't know, sacrificing babies was something you felt really should be allowed to exist for the sake of diversity. No, they were very wicked. And God's in charge. And you're not the judge of him, he's the judge of you. Is it, are you making up stories about why you serve your fears and serve the world rather than serve God, but you still like coming to church because it adds some formality and sitting in rows and pews and something subconsciously about America and the way we worship? 
the spirit in you will tell you whether or not you abide in him. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Oh, you mean, because we could just say the word spirit, right? This all comes down to whether or not the power does the thing it was there to do. It's not whether or not, you know how you talk to somebody up on campus, oh, I'm not really religious, but I am spiritual. Meaning they're not spiritual. Oh, they might be, they might be some Wiccan or, you know, some crystal observer or something like that, you know, really, really uh, deep. But we're supposed to test the spirits to see whether they're of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God, verse 2. Every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Ooh, that got your attention because it's in red too. Of which you heard that it was coming and now is in the world already. This is not just a command that you believe in the Son, Jesus Christ. This is for your teachers. I mentioned it, I think, last week about William Barclay, the writer of many commentaries who did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God or that he was raised from the dead, but he wrote commentaries for countless people. Christians bought them all the time. Barclay's commentaries on the Bible, and he didn't believe. Test the spirits. Because you've got to get to a certain point. You either believe that Jesus is the Christ, your teachers either declare that Jesus is the Christ, or their spirit of Antichrist. They don't. Now, as you know from my, if you went, came to my Revelation Bible study this summer, God bless you. Uh, but you also know that I'm not a dispensationalist and I'm not running around expecting some Antichrist to show up. But some had showed up in the first century. And possibly, I've known some antichrists here on campus. People who gave their lives meaning by being against Jesus Christ and Christianity. Little children, you are of God. That's, that's what you're asking. Because that's how this book says, says it later on in the book, I think in chapter 5. Where is it? I don't have it on the sheet here. So I have to... Uh, chapter 5, verse 13. I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He tells you in the book why he's doing it. He's writing that they may not sin and that they would know they have eternal life. Are you of God? Do you love him? I've mentioned it countless times as we've gone through the Lewis uh, trilogy because we always come back around to that hideous strength in Jane's aesthetic and her difficulties, her unbelief and her difficulties with her husband and, and it's only her coming to grips with who Maladil is, that's God. Really come to grips with who Maladil is and then she wants to do exactly what Maladil wants her to do which is love her husband, go back to him, serve him. That's what he wants. So she's happy to do that. Some modern, previously secular woman who becomes a Christian in the book. Because you know that you are of God. 
and you do what pleases him. It's not so much that you're running around ticking off boxes on the list of the Ten Commandments. No, you're, you're looking for his good creation. You know what he made this world to be. You study what he made this world to be. I don't want to be that which is not what God designed it to be. I want to learn to be that which he made it to be. You have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There's a little reassurance there that we, we live a life with the power of the Holy Spirit. It helps you understand that you're in this. You, you're measuring whether or not you even love him, whether you want to please him. They're of the world, therefore what they say is of the world, the world listens to them. Because all these teachers out there, whether they're political, economic, spiritual, philosophical, whatever, they're all operating under the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life, because that's all that's in the world. They don't have a narrative other than that. They don't have inertial forces other than that. And I'm a big fan of those things. I think those are made by God. But when it's all you have and you do not have God, you don't have the love for the Father greater than your love for the world, all they can say is of the world. They'll give you motivations Christian churches moved by the will to power rather than, and I'm a big fan of the will to power. If I were, you know, Genghis Khan, I'd be pretty difficult. Here are the lamentations of their women. But this is the church. This is Jesus Christ. This is our moral lives. We are not of the world. We are of God, verse 6. Whoever knows God listens to us, and he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John holds his apostolic authority out there and says, we're here from God. We're here given authority by Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you desire to please God? Let me say, tell you this, that the measurement is whether you listen to those who were sent by him. We are of God. They are not. Who do you believe? You can always tell in a conversation. Someone has a, a book, you know, do you realize that so-and-so said? Some sociologist out of Germany. I don't know. St. Paul said, well, St. Paul was just so misogynistic or whatever else he was. Do you listen to the apostles or not? Who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to serve? Beloved, let us love one another, verse 7, for love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. He points to that which you have to do to please him, which is keep the commandments, which is believe this story, this claim, and love your neighbor. And he cobbles them together again. And he says, this is not only a kind of a strange little story. There. This is an act of the love he is acting, asking you to do. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, I want to say something uh, at this point because a lot of discussion in my history as a Christian has gone on about, you know, there's, there's 
so many concepts about love. What is this love? What is it? Is it a feeling? Is it an act? Is it a, you know, something you do or something? You, you kind of are dodging it at that point because you kind of know where you do love, how you do act. No, I don't care if it's eros, storge, agape, I don't care what kind of love it is, I don't care how deep in the weeds you're going to get about the words and what you think it is up to, but you know how you act when you love. Do you love God? Some people love Star Wars. They will go to their death for the right viewpoint about Star Wars or something else. They'll get into the most intense debates. They will rejoice to meet someone who holds the right view of the thing they love. You know what love is, you've done it before. The problem is not so much you don't have a clear definition, you couldn't write an essay on it. Most of us couldn't write an essay on it. But you all know what it is. You know how you act when you do love. Love God. At the way he loved us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Remember that. Because people will come into that passage later on. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love. And then they make all sorts of inventions about what perfect love is because they got a verse and they have to fill in the blank. It's, it's already been telling you. Love is perfected in you. By God living in you, your relationship with him being one of love and an exchange of love, believing in that love, That's how you grow into it. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given, of us, given us his own spirit. And we have seen. Remember, his spirit loved a certain way. When it says he has given us his spirit, it's not merely the relocation of part of God's Holy Spirit is now with you. That is the, the nature of the thing. But who he is when you say someone has the spirit and the power of Elijah, it's hard to tell the difference between Elijah and that person. That's what John the Baptist was prophesied to have, the spirit and power of Elijah. And you say, he even dresses like Elijah. Now some of you might believe that he is Elijah, and some people believe that he is not Elijah. But whatever the case, he came in the spirit and power. It was prophesied that he would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he wore the same kind of clothes. We have some twins in this congregation. The best of twins. And thankfully, they wear different hairstyles. Because we have met twins that don't give you any help. Their mother dresses them the same. Everything's the same. They end up marrying a woman of the same name. You know, there's weird, common choices, right? And you begin to go, oh, hmm. 
What if you met somebody in Kansas City on a trip that looked just like you? You know, if I met someone walking down the street, now good, most old men my age look like me, you know, a little heavy, a lot heavy, you know, gray beard, you know, Levi's um, shirt. And let's say someone strangely like, like you. And you, you introduce yourself, hi, my name is Evan Wilson. He says, hi, my name is Evan Brown. What? What's your wife's name? Leslie? What? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you would think there's some kind of dark force at work. When the Spirit, when He has given you His Spirit, we become like. Because your Spirit is what you're like. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. And he in God. Remember this, spirit of Antichrist or not, do you confess the belief in Jesus Christ? Let out a hoorah going on I, about someone I don't care a whole lot about musically. Here, Kanye got saved. We should be praying for him. I'll try to uphold him in the faith. I don't know if it's real. I hope it is. What's the name of the album? Jesus is King? Something like that? Ever write that on top of one of your papers in anthropology? By the way, you could either put taxation is theft, <laughs> or you could put Jesus is Lord. I'm not saying you're going to do that. I just want you to think about who knows? Do we, have, we, have we seen that he is Lord? Have we testified that he is Lord? Have we confessed that Jesus is the Son of God? God abides in him. So we know and believe the love God has for us. When we say that, when we say, I believe in the gospel, we're really claiming it's a code not for you getting in with the Baptists because the Baptists are all about being born again and the gospel and stuff. It's not, it's not part of the schmoozing we do. We're making a claim about the love of God for us. That I believe that the living God died for me. So we know and believe the love God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. In this love in this is love perfected with us. Once again, back in verse 12, it says, His love is perfected in us if we love one another. In this is love perfected with us, that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because he, as he is, so are we in this world. Because this is a look-alike contest. You become like the Spirit in you. It's the way to check. The whole book is about knowing you have eternal life. Check, do you look like Jesus Christ? Say, I was hoping for some encouragement this morning when I came to church. Well, this is encouraging you to look and fix it. 
If we have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have God's mercy, God's grace. That can all be taken care of and you can be back on track to perfect yourself in love. To have confidence on the day of judgment because frankly, folks, you know, I'm a lot closer to this than most of you. I'm going to be dead soon. And I'm going to have to give an answer for what I did with me, how I treated people, did I treat them, loving them, as my neighbor, because Jesus Christ loved me, or did I just make sure I sorted out the right percentage on my giving? Well, that's my charity. And charity is agape, and agape is love. We've got to get perfect in this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. Now you can think about that passage. Because you know that perfect love is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for you, and that when you believe it, when you believe it, unless you're just a complete schmuck, somebody died for you. <laughs> Someone died for you so you could be forgiven. Somebody died for you, you could be forgiven, and you could live your life eternally. They, they loved you that much. You tell that story, and you're not get moved by it. Some, some people don't like to sing. Well, come up with some way to express what you must obviously be feeling in this belief. If you cannot speak with the glory of the thing that is overwhelming you, the love of God for you. This is the beginning of how you live the life. This is how we know what we are being made to look like. And that's why we sing hymns. It's not because it's churchy. I was talking to Elizabeth's mom about it during the break, about singing hymns. I, we enjoy it. And it's not because it's just better music. Okay, it is. But you can't express such grand things I think unless you lived in the 1700s. I think that's basically the rules. Um, 1700s is the only time in history where the things of God could be spoken of wonderfully. Because somebody in California, we need to take a hit out on because they've been writing choruses. And we need to uh, go shoot them. Because I don't think Jesus would like us to do that. But do you have a way of expressing this? Do you have a way of meditating on, do I love my God? Or am I just on board with this thing? Do I love my God? My God's relationship to me is love. And the fear that it, remember all the struggles you may have about sin that you haven't taken care of yet. You say, I don't just want to be forgiven, I want to be victorious. Well, for you to deal with the fear, is fear has to do with punishment and fear motivates you into trying to solve your problems by medicating yourself with too much beer, medicating yourself with too many women, medicating yourself with too much achievement, because those are the things in the world. And perfect love casts out that because it casts out the punishment, the sense of the punishment. We love because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God should love his brother also. Remember, that's the second commandment. Just like Christ said, we was asked what the greatest commandment was, you shall love the Lord your God. The second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these, the whole law and the prophets are fulfilled. That's what Christianity is. Work this out. Don't expect you're going to live a victorious Christian life, standing with confidence on the day of judgment, without this. Freedom from fear, loving others because you love your God. You've seen love lived out by him. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Did you figure that out? You know, it's not hard when you love someone to rejoice in doing things that they would like you to do. When you love your parents, you love to do things that they would like you to do. Same is true with God. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You need to come back to what the commandments are that represent this love. Belief in Jesus Christ and loving your neighbor. Loving your brother. Because if you're not, if you're not going to do it that way, you got that double desire and pride thing that you can work at. All that is in the world is out, out there for you to practice all the powers that are there available to you in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. You can create a world, a personal narrative that works for you and then it kills you at the end. It overcomes you. You've been told that we overcome the world. Love for the Father being in you. And my, my father always said, holiness is not hard. It's not easy. It's super easy. Because you look at that instruction and say, it's really just a matter of who I love. Have I, have I made decisions regarding that? Do I believe? Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the, really it's the hard part. Say so it's, not, it's not hard to do the Christian life. It's pretty easy to understand what makes it. Pretty easy to describe it. Um, the hard thing is the decisional aspect. Because you have to pick Jesus as the Son of God instead of you. That's just, that's really hard. You really like you. And you think you like you more than anyone else could like you. Better work that out. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for your love, your gospel, 
the community of believers we have sharing the same pursuit, we'd ask that you would make us free from fear and full of love. School us in that. In your son's name, amen.